Do you love the Lord or do you love his love? Do you love the Lord or do you love his love? And I've wrestled with that since yesterday because I'm like, the answer is yes. But if our love for the Lord isn't propelled by his love, we'll never really love the Lord because First John says we love because he first loved us. But if his love for us never propels us into love for him, then we've missed it altogether. And so, um, what's interesting about this morning is, you know, as, as, a, as a preacher um, who, who stands up here and um, just very emotional, has a lot of energy. Um, the times when I don't feel it, uh, I hate. Okay, so I walk in the door, and I'm just like having conversation. People, how you doing? I'm like, I'm here, like not really feeling it, like which I hate when I stand up here, and I'm like, I'm not feeling it today. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm just like, I just want to engage the Lord. I want him to fill my soul, and the songs are incredible. And, and the moment for me, when the faithfulness of God just, just impacted my heart was when I walked around these chairs to take of the Lord's Supper and I just saw a brother and sister in Christ serving another brother and sister in Christ and speaking to them, this is a symbol of Christ's body that was broken for you. This is a symbol of Christ's blood that was shed for you. Almost to say, don't forget that ever and the lord just filled my soul with himself and so um here, here's what i want to ask can i have somebody just stand and pray for us pray for the anointing of the lord upon the preaching of his word can somebody somebody do that for me come on who wants to do it joe thank you just right from right there just pray for us Um, turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 38. We'll start there and we'll get to Ecclesiastes 3 here in just a second. Um, this is a message that in, in my planning was supposed to happen last week. 
okay, geared up for this message, um, believe the Lord had great things with this message last Sunday. Um, I even sent a text to somebody and said, hey, I believe God's coming at you this morning. I just want you to be prepared. I believe he's going to speak some mighty things to you this morning. I just want you to be prepared. Um, and we didn't even get to what I thought would be the actual message. Um, as Mike shared his story, shared his testimony, his, his dad was here, and he's been out of relationship with his dad for, for 25 years, and his dad was here. His dad got up and, and just spoke about what was going on, and that wasn't even planned, and like the Spirit was just working. Um, and so, man, it's not by chance that this text didn't get... We didn't dive into this text last week, and God has it for us today. Um, if you've ever been um, a kid, which would be all of us, okay, um, you've, you've wrestled with this. Um, wanting to be the parent, okay? Like your parents come, and they, they give you some instruction, and you're like, I don't want to do that. Like, if I was the parent, um, I wouldn't eat vegetables. I would just eat candy and uh, wouldn't eat anything good. Like, you know, as a kid, we could think back to things in our childhood that we wanted to be the parent. Man, if I could be in charge or not, if I could be the parent, if I could have the say, um, that would be awesome. Okay, I remember as a student feeling the same exact thing. Um, man, if I was the teacher, we'd never have homework. Um, we, we'd never take tests. Um, you know, and so it's, it's like this, like, grasping for control. And then what's funny is, like, I've become a parent, and I've become a teacher, and I've like, you know, tried to leverage that power, and I think more often than not, like, I'm like, I don't want to be a parent anymore, and like, I just didn't want to be, a, I wanted to not be a teacher anymore, okay? Um, the interesting thing about what we're going to do this morning is this, every one of us, all the time, we want to be God. We want to step into the shoes of God and say, I know what to do, I have the eyes, I have the wisdom, and while maybe children will graduate to parents and students maybe sometimes graduate to teachers, we will never graduate to be God. And Job had this struggle in Job 38. We know the story of Job. Lots of calamity, lots of difficulty comes to his life, okay? And he's worshiping God, but there's some doubt. And he's in a, he's in a season of questioning God. And I want you to listen to what God says. Job 38, we'll start at verse 4. It says, this is God speaking to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Okay, Job questioning God, God's response. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, Job. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy or who Job shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth out from the womb when I made the clouds when I made clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said this far you shall come and no further and there you shall and and there and here shall your proud waves be stayed job if you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it and it changed like clay under the sea under the seal and its feathers 
I'm sorry, its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, Job? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this, and on and on and on, God goes for four chapters unpacking the beauteous marvelous glory of himself and the reminder to job job you're a mere man and flip over to chapter 40 verse 4 and i want you to look at job's response so two chapters god unpacks all these done in his sovereign power and job says this in job 40 verse 4 behold i am of small account What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth, and I've spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job's just reminded, okay, I'm not God. I'll never be God. You can read on. Read on 41, 42, and Job's response again, the the beginning of 42, and you read, and we're reminded The same exact thing that Psalm 115 verse 3 says. Ben, throw that up there. Psalm 115 verse 3 says this. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. That's tough, isn't it? It's like, wait a second. Like, do I have some say here? And honestly, the answer is no. Before the Creator God, we have no say God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 139, another incredible passage of Scripture, another incredible chapter. It says this, Psalm 139, and look down at verse 16. On the screen it says this, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So here's the sovereign God setting out, planning out. Here's what life will look like sovereignly orchestrating allowing saying i've numbered your days amanda david grace dane before you were ever here here's when you'll begin here's when you'll end here's what your steps will look like and then an incredible chapter in acts chapter 17 takes it a step further Check this out. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So here's what it's saying. The Creator God, he's not in heaven like, man, I just wish Rick would come to church today because I really need him to worship me. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything from us. He's in the heavens. He's not served by human hands as though he's like, man, I just need you to do something for me down there on earth. No. 
26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Check this out. Here we go. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God. So God not only has orchestrated the events of our lives, but he's determined the periods in which we would live. Okay, maybe you think about the, when you'd want to live and what century you'd want to live. If you could go back, if you could wonder what the, the future's like, but God's like, no, I've, I've orchestrated. This is when you will exist. And not only that, but the boundaries where you will dwell, where you work, where you shop, your family that you're in, all of these things God orchestrated. Why? The people would know him, that they should seek God. Okay, now... Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Okay, we needed to see that, that perspective in order to, to be able to see Ecclesiastes 3 properly. Ecclesiastes 3 begins by saying, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Okay, so we're, we're here trying to figure out why, like, what are we doing here? Why, what's the point of life on earth? And Solomon comes in, um, and for much of our time, it's like there's really no point to life on earth. But he begins in chapter 3 saying, for everything, what does that not include? Okay, for everything, there's a season, okay, a set, an appointed time. Um, one of my favorite seasons that's coming up, sorry for some of you, is deer season, Okay, I love deer season. I've been deer hunting since I was a little boy. I remember being in the stand. My dad was videotaping when I got my first deer. And I remember you know, watching, the, watching the footage. And it was like a 200-yard shot across the field. And like, it, was, it was awesome. Okay? But there's a season for deer hunting. Okay? You, you can only hunt deer um, during this time of year. Okay? If I hunt deer in the spring, that's a problem. It's called poaching. Okay? And I'd probably get... Two deer with one shot by a mother that's with child. Okay, that's bad, okay? Um, but I love, I love deer season. This time of year, many of you love the fall. Like, you love, like, wearing a sweatshirt out. It's a little chilly, gathering around a fire pit. Um, you know, uh, on December 20th, which is a lot later than I thought it would be, is when winter begins. Now, many of us, we, we hate winter. It's like, can it just stay a little chilly and we can just be like this? But, like, the winter's going to come and it's going to be cold and we're going to have to scrape our cars and we're going to have to shovel the sidewalk and we're going to have to bundle up our kids. I mean, there's, there's nothing more frustrating, like, as a parent than, like, bundling up your kid and, like, to take them outside and then, like, going in the store and then they got to get it all off and then you got to put it all back on. It's just, um, for those of you that have done it, you understand the, the pain in that. But God loved them because they loved the snow. Um, or how about um, baseball season? Friday night, was that pretty fun? Um, incredible. Like, it's, the, it's approaching the end of, of baseball season, and this is like the, the, the funnest time, especially when the Cardinals are actually in the playoffs. Um, here's the good and the bad about this thing with, thing with seasons. Like, they come and go, right? I mean, could, if we could just live in, you know, October with Cardinal baseball, you know, Friday night type games forever. Like, how awesome would that be? The problem is, is like, that's not how it works. Like, they, they have seasons that are, aren't the best and, or, or, you know, but then they turn it around somehow, right? Okay, there's, there's appointed times in life. But here's the reality. We don't control them. You don't control when winter starts and goes. We don't control these things. We want to. 
but the thing is, God's designed it, God's designed it that we, we don't control them. Okay, look, look back at the text. Um, when, when we look at this text, it's going to unpack numerous things, but here's what you have to know. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. Okay, does that make sense to you? This is describing life in a broken world, not prescribing, here's what you should do. It's going to be important when we get to, like, there's a time to kill, okay, um, and a time to heal, or there's a time for war. Now, we could go other places and argue that there's times when that's what God has, okay? But this is describing, big picture, what life is, what life looks like, okay? And we could go to numerous of these and be like, okay, I want one, I want the other. Let's, let's do a couple. Let's go down the list. Um, verse 2. There's a time to be born and a time to die. I don't know many people that love death. If you love death, like that's a problem. You probably should see a counselor, okay? Um, there's a time to be born. Here's the, here's the interesting thing, though. Um, we think we control that. Okay, how many parents step into the realm of, okay, we want to have a kid? Well, the dad's like, we can make that happen. Okay, like I can't control this. Okay, but what happens? Like maybe, maybe you do have a child, and then you're ready for your second child, and it's like, okay, two years, that's a good time frame. Second child, let's do this. Like, okay, we're waiting. Okay, we're waiting. Okay, we're waiting. And then maybe like somehow like there's a miscarriage. Why? I think miscarriages are a massive reminder that you're not in control, that you don't set the time of birth, even though you think you do. Okay, um, I, I prefer birth other than death. There, there's a time to plant and, and a time to pluck up. Okay, the, the beauty of what's to come in planting seed. If you, when you tear out bushes and, and, and whatnot, like it's bare. Okay, well, we could keep, there's a time to kill and a time to heal. I'll take healing. Um, there's a time to break down and a time to build up. Okay, unless you're a person that likes demolition, uh, which, Haley, I know you are. Thanks for helping me demo my, my basement. Um, okay, there's a time when that has to come to an end and will come to an end. There's a period of that. There's a time for weeping and a time for laughing. Okay, would anyone say they actually enjoy crying? Maybe like laughing so much that you cry, right? Okay, but no one really loves to weep. And love sorrow, but yet there's a time for that. Wish I could just choose laughing. Can we just always laugh? Because laughter is like medicine for the soul, right? But sometimes we don't get to laugh. Sometimes we mourn. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance, okay? I mourn my inability to dance, okay? And, and many of you do as well, all right? Thanks for still uh, putting up with me. Every now and then I try to see if I have figured it out yet, and my wife continues to remind me, stop shaking your knees. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Like, I love embracing. Like, do you really enjoy saying goodbye to people? Like, friends that move away? Hate it, okay? Um, Kids that grow up, 
There's a time when you embrace them. They're in your home. You care for them. There's a time when you send them off to school. You're going to send them off to college. There's a time you're going you're to send them off married. And you refrain from embracing them. And you give them away. There's a time to seek and a time to lose. I feel like the past three years have literally been a scavenger hunt for my family. Okay, we've lived in a basement for three and a half years, and we're soon to be out of that season, praise Jesus, okay? Um, but literally, we have like storage unit over here, storage unit over here, stuff in this basement, stuff upstairs, kids upstairs, we're downstairs, um, stuff in our refrigerator, stuff in their refrigerator. Like, and it's like, where's this? I don't know, where's this? I don't know. You know, you've you seen another sock? No, I don't know. Maybe it's in that pile. Maybe it's in this pile. Like, well, that pile, I moved it over here, and that pile, like, okay, there, there's a time to be like, okay, it's, it's lost. It's a time to like, to search and hunt and look. There's a time to keep and a time to cast away. Okay, uh, uh, not long after we got married, Danielle made me made me throw away all my like high school math papers. It was a really sad day. <laughs> okay, like I'm like, man, I nailed that. I got a star on that. I got an A on that. Schultz wrote, good job on that. All right? Um, I got to get rid of it. Can I frame it? Like, can I show this to the kids? Look at this. this. I didn't even have to do the evens. I got them all right. There's a time to keep and a time to thank you for my wife. Hey, get rid of that. Quit hoarding that. There's a time when maybe you just need to go through your house and just get rid of a whole bunch of junk that's just cluttering up your life. There's a time to tear and a time to sow. In, in the biblical times, the, the tearing away, like in the midst of mourning, they would tear their clothes. And then after the mourning was over, they would sew them back up. When that season was over, there's a time for silence and a time to speak. There's a time for silence. Some of you need to hear that. There's a time to speak. Some of you, I personally like silence. Let's have a moment. Not really. Um, okay, there's a time for love and a time for hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. Okay, we have all these pairs of contrasts that represent what? They represent a complete picture. They represent both sides of the coin. Okay, they try to help us understand, like, what, what's the point? Why, why are we here? What are we doing? We could just focus on these, but really, just focusing on these aren't going to do it. We need to keep going, because Solomon's going to give us some explanation in the, in the verses to come about what's happening in these verses. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this, What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Solomon just got done unpacking for so long this idea that all that we do is vanity, right? Like, why do we really do anything? Because it's just going to, you know, be given to somebody else. It's just going to waste away. What's the point? Okay, here's what I think Solomon's trying to get us to realize. There's something bigger going on. There's something bigger going on here. Okay? Otherwise, what happens? We're stuck in this perpetual state of pessimism. Like, do you understand that? Because otherwise, it's just this. Well, don't enjoy the good because it's about to be hijacked by frustration and defeat. 
So when good comes, don't, don't, don't enjoy it too much because it's just going to go away. Like that, how pessimistic is that? Okay, don't really love, don't really give your heart away because um, it's going to be hurt. So kind of, you know, be careful when you do that. Like you can't truly love without giving your heart away, right? Okay, um, don't mow your yard because um, you're just going to have to do it again, Right? You know, you go to the grocery store, and then a week later, like, everything's gone. And what do you got to do? You got to go to the grocery store again. Wouldn't it be great if you cleaned your house once? It was done forever? Okay? Kind of like the permanent makeup thing that you can do, ladies. Like, never have to wear makeup again. That's a great idea. Let's tattoo our eyes. There's something bigger going on. There's a bigger picture we have to begin to see. And it's the glory of God. Look at verse 11. And He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He's put eternity into the hearts of man, yet so that, they, so that He cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Here, here's what Solomon's trying to get us to see, is that creating beauty has been God's business from the beginning. Okay, he's made everything beautiful in its time. Genesis 1.31 says what? God saw everything he had made and behold, it was good. It was beautiful. He stood back and said it was good. He looked at man and woman and said it's very good. Okay, and then fall came. The fall of sin came into the world and what happened? Brokenness. Destruction, murder, lying, defeat, sin. And God said, you know what? I'm going to take what man has destroyed and I'm going to restore beauty to it through the work of my son. I'm going to put my son on a cross. He's going to pay the price for sin. And through his work, we're going to restore what was broken in the fall. God loves beauty and he loves creating beauty. But here's what we have to be really careful of seeing this list in two through eight as just these events in our lives. Well, sometimes people die. Sometimes people were born. You know, sometimes we're tearing things up. Sometimes we're putting them together. But here's, here's what, what we have to do. We have to step back and we have to see this is a, a sovereign God who we just saw earlier orchestrating events in our lives. Why? In the mixing bowl of life. So we have to view this more as ingredients in life to, to get us to the Lord. Not events that happen, but, but God putting ingredients into the mixing bowl of life. Right? Because everybody loves cake. Right? Well, we could argue that, but let's just go with it. Everybody loves cake. But do you know anybody that likes flour? Like, I just want to go eat some flour. That's disgusting. But think about that. Who just wants flour? Nobody. But you got to have some flour in there to get cake. The good kind. (laughs) So you have a sovereign God who's orchestrating the events in our lives, who's weaving the fabric of our lives, painting the massive canvas. 
But the second part says this. He's made, he, he has put eternity into the hearts of man. You and I were designed for that. You and I were designed for the eternal, but here's the problem. We can't step back far enough to see the whole thing. Right? We can't get back far enough to know what God's doing, which is why we're crummy gods, which is why when we try to play the part of God, it's going to go bad because we can't step back far enough to see the eternal work that God's doing in us and through us because we're creatures Yet God's designed us for the eternal. So as image bearers of the eternal God, the the seasons in our lives are simply a drop in the bucket of eternity or ingredients in the mixing bowl of life. In the journey of our faith, God drawing us to Him. And there's seasons in our lives that God is wanting to use as a springboard into godliness, springboard into His presence. And listen, all of these are invitations to worship. Are they not? They're invitations into more of Him. So when God's like, we're going put to put a little death here in your life. We're going to put a little mourning here in your life. We're going to put some laughter here in your life. We're going to put some joy here in your life. Because like, we're going to mix that all up. And, and as I'm mixing all that, we're going to make something beautiful out of your life because of what I've done in and through the work of my son on the cross. And you're going to have to trust me because you cannot get back far enough to see the whole picture of what I'm doing. And it says this. He's put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. How frustrating is that? That we're never fully going to find out. We, we can't fully find out when, when faith is present. Okay, because listen, a prerequisite to faith is mystery. Like if there's no mystery, there's no need for faith. If you know if you know everything, if you can stand back and you can see the whole canvas, if you can see the whole picture, if you can see the finished product, you don't need faith. But the scripture says, we know in part. And so this life is a mystery. Why? Because mystery brings about faith, and faith brings about relationship with God. You remove mystery, there's no need for faith. And you remove faith, you don't have relationship with God. Because John 17, 3 says this, this is eternal life, that you know him, that you have relationship with him. Not a destination, not about where we're going, but about intimacy with a holy and perfect God. And in our finite minds, we want Comfort. We don't want completeness. We just want to eat the sugar. We don't want to, you know, we don't want the, the flour. We don't want to just eat flour. One of, one of the best books I've ever read is called Sacred Marriage. I read it before we got married. It's an incredible book. And the subtitle is this What if God designed marriage not to make you happy, but to make you holy? What? That's terrible. No, I'm not interested. What if God designed marriage not to make you happy, but to make you holy? And in being holy, you become happy. We could add that. 
In pursuing holiness, you find your ultimate joy and satisfaction in Christ. What if God designed your job not to make you happy, but to make you holy? What if God designed your neighbor not to make you happy, but to make you holy? What if God designed your car problems <laughs> not to make you happy, be weird, but to sanctify your soul in him, your money problems that you have, that you stress over? What is that for you? What if God designed blank, not to make you happy, but to press you deeper into the crevices of relationship with him? At some point, we have to stop trying to live someone else's life. There's been no greater person that's pursued that than myself. At some point, you have to stop trying to be someone else. And you have to rest in who you are, who God's made you to be, and the path that he's put you on, and he's orchestrated in the mixing bowl of life to bring, you, bring about sanctification in your life and greater intimacy with him and greater glory for his name. We've got to stop trying to be someone else. Verse 12 and 13 says this. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Here's my confession to you. I stand before you as your pastor who doesn't have it all together. Here's my confession to you. I don't enjoy life well. I don't. You can ask my wife. We talk about it all the time. I stress over it. It's never good enough. I'm never good enough. This church is never good enough. My kids are never good enough. My marriage is never good enough. I don't do what Solomon is prescribing as, as the hope to a meaningless life is to find pleasure is when life is terrible, when life is hard to press into the Lord and find joy in the Lord, when life is good and things are happy and, and you're laughing, like to enjoy that. I don't do that. And that's what we're called to do is to drink life in deeply. Because here's what we do. When good comes, here, here, okay, let's say you have a good day. Say your day goes really well. You're like, man, okay, what did I do today? I ate breakfast. That's it. I had a banana. That's it. That's what did it for me. I, we, can, you know, we, we try to play our cards in such a way like, or figure out how we went about our day to produce what brought about a good day. And it's like, if I could just keep doing that, then I'm always going to have a good day. And if only we could play our cards in such a way to bring about what that joyful time brought about, then I'll always live in a perpetual state of life is great. And then bad comes in our lives. And what do we do? Evacuation mode. I got to get out of this. I got to run from this. God's like, you run from this. You will destroy your life. But if you press into me in this, you'll find hope and meaning. And I'm going to create in you a beautiful people of God from my name.
today. Solomon says it. This is God's gift to man. It's a gift. Every single day is a gift. No matter how we feel, no matter what happens, if we're breathing, whether it's traumatic or normal, it's a gift from God. And as Christians, we have an identity in our relationship with Christ that gives us hope and purpose we have a sovereign God who's orchestrating the events in our lives, who's mixing the ingredients in the mixing bowl life of life to bring about His glory and our joy in all the seasons of life. And He's calling us deeper and deeper into Himself. And here's what He's saying in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. And He who was seated on the throne. Okay, this is a picture of the end. Okay, get this. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, look. Church, don't miss this. Look, open your eyes. I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Wherever he has us, he's like, no, you can't just eat flour, and no, you can't just eat sugar. I want to make some beautiful cake that you're going to enjoy for all of eternity. I'm making things new. Will you trust me? Will you trust Jesus this morning? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing one song close out. And that's what I want to ask you is, will you trust him? That's what I'm asking myself. Will I, will I trust him? Because when you trust him, it's pretty sweet. Because you know what? He never fails. When you press into faith, you have the opportunity to be the first person that God has ever failed. And it will never happen. He's good and he's faithful. So let's press into him. Let's respond. Let's, we'll sing this final song. If you came prepared to give, um, the baskets are up front. You can do that during this last song or right at the end before you leave. Um, just want to remind you of that. Let's pray. Father God, you're good and faithful. We love you. Thank you for your love that propels us into you, that propels us into deeper relationship with you. So God, we confess that we're a people that wants to be God. We want to be you, but we're not good at being you. And so today, we want to just throw, throw it down. We want to lay it down. We want to run to you. God, help us to trust in you now, we pray. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Christ's name, amen.